Let's uh, continue worshiping the Lord together. If you have a copy of the scriptures handy, I invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. going to look at two verses briefly, probably fairly familiar to you, especially this time of year. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures handy, that's fine. They'll be on the screen behind me here. We're just going to take a few moments uh, to look at these verses that uh, God sent Isaiah to prophesy to the people of God a long, long time ago. Isaiah chapter 9. I know you just sat, but... Uh, this is a unique game I play with you. Please stand up again. And uh, no, really, it's a, it's a reminder that this is God's word. That's why we do this. Verse six and, verses 6 and 7 from Isaiah 9. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of Armies will accomplish this. Lord, thank you that you are zealous to invite us into your story. And if you're zealous for something, it happens. For the next few minutes, continue to help us to continue to worship you by giving attention to your word. And may we pay attention to what your spirit is saying to our spirits. And may we leave, we leave here relieved because we've heard the gospel yet again. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Last Christmas Eve, I shared with you that Oxford Dictionary's word of the year for 2022 was goblin mode. It's actually two words, but they called it word of the year. You think a dictionary would get that right. This year, Oxford Dictionary's word of the year is riz. R-I-Z-Z. You obviously don't have it. It's short for charisma, and the young people shorten it to, how's your Riz game? My children say, I have none. That's Oxford's definition. I found it fascinating that Merriam-Webster's dictionary word of the year was authentic. I thought that's where, that word's been around a long time. 2023, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, word of the year, is authentic. And then I began to read why they said that, and it made sense. I don't know if you've heard of this thing called AI that's kind of blown up this year. But everybody's wanting to know, is this authentic? Social media, the internet, and what I'm reading, is this real news or fake news? Is this authentic picture or a made-up picture? Our identity, our, what's authentic? Who is the real me? Celebrity culture, or, is this real that I'm seeing? Is or, 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 Travis and Taylor a thing or not? Is this authentic? What is, what is real? So it makes sense. I wonder if you've Googled, is this such and such authentic? Well, I want to ask you for just a few minutes to be authentic with God. Be real. 
You can put on a mask for mother-in-law, that's fine. I get it. But you can't hide from God anyway. And I'm guessing you want an encounter with the real God and he wants to meet the real you. And maybe you're wondering what's authentic. So how are you doing this morning, really? It's easy to say fine on Christmas Eve morning. Maybe you are. That dream you had when you were in high school and college, that dream that it worked out like you'd planned, everything go according to your marriage, everything go according to plan there, Your job that you changed that you just knew was going to make life different and better for you, how's that working? Children obeying you just like you thought. Maybe you're doing great this Christmas Eve morning, but I bet somebody on your row is on the struggle bus. Listen to these very happy, ecstatic Merry Christmas stats. Between 1999 and 2019, American suicide rates increased by 33%. Merry Christmas. Between 2009 and 2019, the percentage of teens who reported persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26% to 37%. By 2021, it has shot up to 44%. The percentage of Americans who said they have no close friends quadrupled between 1990 and 2020. In one survey, 54% of Americans reported that no one knows them well. 36% of Americans reported they felt lonely frequently or almost all of the time, including 61% of young adults and 51% of young mothers. In 2013, Americans spent an average of six and a half hours per week with friends. By 2019, they were spending only four hours a week per, per week with friends, a 38% drop. And by 2021, as the COVID-19 pandemic was easing, they were spending only two hours and 45 minutes per week with friends, a 58% decline. The General Social Survey asked Americans to rate their happiness levels. Between 1990 and 2018, the share of Americans who put themselves in the lowest happiness category increased by more than 50%. Aren't you glad you came to church? Merry Christmas. Let's be authentic. Now, my, my job this morning isn't to offer all the reasons, I think, why this is the case. I think the reasons are myriad. Nor do I think I have an easy fix to how to correct this. But I do want to ask why. Why? You'd think it would be the opposite, but it seems like in the last 30, 40 years, it's, it's just done this. And it wasn't just COVID. It was happening before COVID. You know, I came across some, a study just this past week that in 1966, 90% of college students, when asked, why do you go to college, 90% of them said they go to learn a basic moral philosophy of life so they can make the world a better place. That was in 1966. That's why they went to college. 50 years later in 2015, the same people surveyed the college students. 82% said so I can have financial success. Think about that. In 50 years, they, they went from, we want to make the world a better place, to say, we want to be on top of the world. 
We want to be the captain of the ship. We want to be financially in control. There's something there. I'm not saying we need to go back to the good old 60s. Most of you that lived it can't remember it. There were some issues back there in the 60s too. That's not my point. My point is, over the last 40 or 50 years, this loneliness, anxiety, depression has gone massive sky high. And I just, I just wonder, I don't mind a baby crying on Christmas Eve, okay? I just wonder if we've begun to believe the lie that we've got to write our own story. And the reason we are living major lonely and depressed lives is because we have thought we have to be the hero of our story. Somebody well-intentioned said, write your story, follow your dreams, follow your heart. And we have found that we're not very good at writing I wonder if that statistic is telling us that we've breeded a generation of people who think that true life comes when they're the master of their ship. And that's why they want financial success. That may be what they want, but they're not happy about it. <laughs> and I wonder if you fall in that. Author and pastor Jordan Griesbeck wrote this and I, it just really resonated with me. He said, I lived in Austin, Texas for six years with all your other millennial friends, sipping jalapeno margs and pontificating about Elon Musk. And during that time, I would go on runs around the lake, which flows through downtown, crossing over the lake on what is called the Mopac Bridge. Each runner or walker passes a mural painted by a local artist, which reads, Live a Great Story. I trust the artist had the best of intentions and his words made a certain entrepreneurial CrossFit type inspired to run harder and live better. But I always felt a sense of despair because that is where we are now. We no longer live into a great story, but we must write our own story. We haven't eliminated the key word into. I think he's on to something. And I think we're longing for authenticity because we have been living a fake life because somebody said, write your own story. Be the hero of your story. And we're miserable because we were never intended to write our own story. You were made to live into a story. There's already a hero. You ain't him. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the nation of Israel was in a hard, lonely, selfish, despairing season. They were godless. They weren't worshiping God, even though they knew they should. They were doing their own thing. They were the captain of their own ships. And God raised up a prophet named Isaiah. And he said, I've got some things I need you to tell the people of Israel. And he had some warnings for them that are scattered throughout his prophecy, very long prophecy of 66 books, but tucked away at various places, there's these signs of hope. And to these people that, that were trying to write their own story, if you will, he writes these words, or he told these words, for a child will be born for us. 
A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. What's Isaiah saying? What's God saying to the people of God? You don't have to write a story. There's one being written. You're invited into it. It's a story of everlasting love, a story of salvation, a story that God started long before you were born and will continue long after you're dead on this earth. And you are invited to participate with him in this story. That's the message of Isaiah. It's the message of Christmas. We can't do it on our own. We need someone to do it for us. And the story is God sent his son. Maybe you've been searching for authenticity because you feel like you're living fake life. And if you're trying to write your own story and be the hero, you'd be right. That's fake. There's another story being written, a more true and real story, and another hero. Don't you love that he says the government will be on his shoulders? Think about that next year when you're fighting with somebody over the election. It's on his shoulders, not yours. It's on his shoulders, not theirs. There's really no point in getting in a wad over it. Because when he comes back, he's going to turn everything right anyway. And let me tell you something. The government's on his shoulders. And that really means he's got the whole world on his shoulders. Which means you can take it off yours. You know where I wear my stress? Do y'all have somewhere you wear your stress? I wear my stress right here at the bottom of my neck and the top of my shoulders. Hate it. And my wife will know when I've been super stressed for a while because she'll say something and I'll say, huh? Because I can't move my neck. It hurts. And then she'll come over here and I'll say, huh? And I can't move. That's communicating to me that Matt Pearson's been trying to rule the world. And I was never intended to put it on my shoulders. I've got one who's already got it on his. And then what's he called? Isn't it amazing that a baby is told what he'll be? This son that is given to us, this child that is born for us. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That's incredible. Wonderful counselor. Who needs one of those? Bunch of lying in church. You all need therapy. <laughs> Wonderful counselor. Guess what? He's already got that title. You're not going to fix people. You can join him in loving people, but it's not your job to fix people. He's the wonderful counselor. You get a wonderful counselor and you let him be it. That's the story being written for you. And guess what other title he's got? Mighty God. You trying to be God? You trying to control? The title's already taken. He is God. Quit trying to do what only he can do. Rest. He's pretty good at his job. 
and he doesn't need you. You have a mighty God, and he is a mighty God. How about the next one, everlasting or eternal father? Let me give you parents some breathing room. You'll never be a perfect parent. Your children will probably 100% go to therapy because of you. As wonderful as parents as you are, they will need help. They will fill the counseling rooms from now and for the next 50 years because of you and because of me. They already have a perfect parent, an everlasting father. Have you allowed your kids, have you given your kids to the everlasting father? And trust that he knows what he's doing. This is the story you're invited into. He's the hero. And then that last one there, Prince of Peace. A prince executes the king's duties. A prince gives what the king desires. And Jesus, this baby, this son that is given for us, grants peace. Let me take some more pressure off you. You can't give peace. But he can. You can join him in participating in areas where he calls you to bring peace, but it's his job, not yours. And he goes on in verse 7 to talk about his kingdom and dominion and prosperity never ending. What is he saying to the people of God, to us? You are invited to be a part of the story he's writing. You don't have to write it. You just participate with him in it. And guess what? You're not the hero. He is. You know what you get to do? Take a deep breath. Relax. And enjoy the love story he's part of. That's good news. You can rest. This baby boy that Isaiah prophesied, we know as Jesus, he grew up. And when he was about 31 or 32, do you know what he said to church people? Come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will have rest for your souls. Isaiah told us that, and now he said it. It's very fitting. I don't mean to call you out, John, but it's very fitting that you're taking the baby out. Not because the baby's crying, but because I was going to say this anyway. Do you know this past year we had six babies that were born at the church at West Franklin? Six. And I'm told, yeah, that's great, fantastic. Growing the children's ministry here at the church at West Franklin. We also, there's several more that are pregnant. I don't know if I can say who yet or not, but I'm aware of some, something in the water here. You know, I found it interesting that every birth announcement, whether it was by text or card or Facebook, no one said what their child would be this past year. You don't, you don't get a birth announcement and say, welcome to our world, such and such. He is going to be the president of Regions Bank. Don't read that. Welcome to our world, such and such. She is going to be Nashville's hottest artist. Welcome to our world, such and such. He's going to win the Heisman as quarterback for the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. (laughs) 
Why don't we see that? Because we don't know. And because we don't want to put that kind of pressure on our kids. Why is it when they turn 8 or 10 or 12 or when you turn 30, 35 or 40, you start thinking you can predict the future? And writing your own story. There's a reason babies don't come with declarations of who they are and what they'll be. That was reserved for one baby. Because West Franklin, you and I don't get our identity from what we do. We get our identity from whose we are and from what he's done and going to do. That's who you are, loved by God who invited you to be a part of the story where his son Jesus is the hero. Christ came for you. A son was given for you. A child was born for you. And you know what? God is zealous to invite you in so you can participate with him in this story that he's writing. Why don't we stand together?